Good morning. Again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, I submit to you that the obedience of our living and the spirit of our praise are dictated by our understanding of and our thankfulness for God's grace and mercy. God has blessed us, each and every one, He has blessed us with more than we deserve and has blessed us with better than we are able to ask for. And certainly God is worthy to be praised. Uh, The psalmist declares in Psalm 107 verse 2, he says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And certainly all of us are able to say so because God has blessed us He has blessed us uh, every day of our living. Uh, He is the reason that things are as well with us as they are and that we have the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read again there verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Based on the words of the Hebrew writer here in chapter 12, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject, the choices of champions. The choices of champions. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to consider in your mind what makes a champion. To to whom do we ascribe uh, the title champion? I, I submit to you that in some context, some would say a champion is one who Uh, Maybe they have garnered the Lombardi Trophy or the Stanley Cup. Maybe they've been awarded uh, the Nobel Peace Prize or won a Pulitzer Prize. Or maybe they've shown some great uh, valor in in serving and have been awarded uh, military honors such as the Silver Star. And, And I submit to you that in their particular arenas, Uh, that rightly one could be called a champion in that sense. But I submit to you that in the most meaningful sense of the word, a champion, those people that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, a a champion is one, uh, to make it relevant to us today, is one that has obtained the victory provided by Jesus. You remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, he says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there any greater accomplishment than to be washed in the blood of Jesus and be an heir to eternal life? When we look at Hebrews chapter 12, the language of the Hebrew writer would have evoked in the minds of the original audience images of the ancient Olympics, the forerunner of our modern Olympic Games. And when it comes to the Olympic Games, we see the contest but are often unaware of the practice and sacrifices made leading to the contest. Uh, you know, when you see those people out there competing on television, they have hours and years of practice and sweat that they've invested into uh, uh, honing their craft to compete at that level. They've made great sacrifices to get to where they are, and, and in that Olympic, to win that competition is to be considered a champion. But I submit to you that there is a marked difference between spiritual and secular or physical contests. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11, the wise man declares, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Uh, if you've ever watched the Olympics, going in, the commentators will say, based on past performance, this person is the favorite to win the event. But, but you can't account for things like tripping before you reach the finish line getting injured or, or in the uh, course of competing. So just because one is the favorite does not necessarily mean that they will be awarded the prize. When we look at uh, 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 the Olympics, uh, many that have been crowned champion were not the most physically talented or intellectually gifted in whatever it was they were competing. I think back, and I want to go way back, uh, 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 and I'm not much of a hockey fan, but do you remember when the U.S. won uh, uh, the medal in, in hockey? Nobody was picking the United States. That, that's not our best event. Now, now, if it had been the Summer Olympics in track and field, you know, uh, until Usain Bolt came along, we were generally favored to win the 100 meters, the 200. That there were just events in track. You could go down and kind of look if you were rooting for the U.S. and say gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. Now, it didn't always work out that way, but, it, you know, it, it tended to be there were certain events that we just uh, tended to get the gold medal in. But, but in secular contests, the medal is not always to the favorite. But let me say, as Christians, our victories don't come by chance. That there's no such thing as being lucky when you're a child of God. You are blessed by the God that we serve. Our victories are our products of grace through faith. And when we choose to walk with God by faith, our end is always assured. And to this fact, both the Old Testament and New Testament witness agree. In Isaiah 54 and verse 17 in your Bibles, uh, uh, speaking to the nation of Israel, uh, uh, God said through Isaiah, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, 
and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. God was letting Israel know, you don't ever get lucky in battle. You win because I'm your God. I'm the almighty God, and when you walk with me, you have no, no choice but to win. In the New Testament, in Romans 8 and verse number 37, Paul declares, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whatever we may face in life, we are more than conquerors because Jesus Christ is our Lord. Our victories are never by chance. But I submit to you that there is a difference between a champ uh, that the difference between a champion and an also ran, in particular in spiritual considerations, it is not ability but choice. You know, you, you can make wrong choices in some cases and still overcome them. But when you talk about making the right choices, spiritually speaking, you don't have to have uh, the ability of a Paul. I just need to make the right choices. I just need to serve God faithfully where I am. And let me say that even in secular considerations in some cases, choice can prevail over ability. Now, now I don't have to explain those two slides to you, do, do I? I think you're somewhat familiar uh, uh, with that account. Uh, uh, the uh, the hare made a choice. He had superior ability, but his choice cost him the race. And having said that, let me acknowledge that whether we are talking about uh, spiritual or secular, it's not always easy to choose what's right or best. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 12, I think to really appreciate the message of the text there, you have to understand, number one, the interconnection between chapters 11 and 12 and the overall context of the Hebrew letter, generally speaking. If we could sum up the Hebrew letter, we might say that the Hebrew letter is talking about better things. And in particular, there are better things available in Christ Jesus than were available under the law as God gave it through Moses. And that's important to know because there were some Jewish Christians that were struggling with their faith. Because of persecution and adversity, they were thinking of walking away from the Christian faith. But the Hebrew writer exhorts them to consider the gravity of such a choice and stay the course with the Christian faith. And so the writer encourages them to focus on what they have in Christ, and he supports this with the witness of those who have cast their lot with God. That's why in chapter 11 he spends time talking about Abel and Abraham and Sarah and Noah. Consider those that have walked with God and how God blessed them and how God worked it out for them. If you walk away from God, you forfeit the God who is able to make you succeed. And there's a great word of encouragement, not only for the original audience, but for us as well. So when we look at Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Hebrew writer says, Wherefore, see, now depending on which translation you're reading, the wherefore may be rendered therefore, but in either case, he said, what I'm about to say is based on what I just told you. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, pay attention to the example of those that I've just told you about. And I submit to you first this morning 
that champions choose to find strength in the example of those who have gone before them. See, the testimony of the witnesses in chapter 11 is crucial. See, a wise athlete will consider the counsel of one who is a champion in his field. You know, if my goal is to one day hoist the Lombardi Trophy, then it just makes sense to talk to some folk who have already hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. They know what it takes to get there. That they have the understanding and the experience with getting to that level of achievement. And I submit to you in the same way, a wise saint will heed the exhortation of those who have served the same God that he is serving. And I want to pull these witnesses to the stand this morning. I want to get one this morning that we didn't get last week. One from last week that we did get, and then one that he doesn't mention in chapter 11, but I believe his witness is just as effective. Uh, uh, back in chapter 11, the Hebrew writer talked about Abel, and the witness of Abel is that God's justice is revealed by our submission to suffering. You know, it's not easy to turn the other cheek, but if you want to be a champion, let God fight your battles. See, Abel would tell us, just serve God faithfully and leave the rest to God. People may do you wrong, but nobody can make it right like God can. And Abraham would tell us that God's promises are realized by faith. You don't always have to know what God is doing. You don't have to have all the ins and outs and have uh, every detail, detail laid out for you. Just do what God told you. Be faithful to God, keep his word, and God will handle all the rest. And then if I could call Brother Job, Job not mentioned in chapter 11, but Job's witness tells us that God's deliverance is received through perseverance. See, when you're God's child, troubles are the prelude to something better. I think Job helps us appreciate that. You know, the tendency is when trouble comes to go, oh, woe is me. And to let it get you down. But, but Job's example tells us that, that when trouble comes, be assured that God has something better on the heels of the trouble. See, Job's example tells us to hang in there until you reach your chapter 42. You, you ever read Job, and I mean all of Job. You know, when you read Job chapters 1 and 2, Job chapters 1 and 2, we, we, we probably could understand Job just quitting. But then you keep on reading. Job's troubles didn't end in chapter 2. His friends show up to offer him some advice. And remember, Job said, you all are miserable comforters. And then another fellow showed up and threw his two cents into it. But then God showed up. And when you get to chapter 42, it says, and the Lord turned Job's captivity. See, Job, you may not have understood what I was doing and using you this way. Now, your friends up there talking about you are a great sinner. That's why you're doing some great suffering. It wasn't about you being a sinner, Job. See, I wanted to use you to be an example so some other folk could come along and win some victories when they saw your example. See, Job tells us, hang in there until chapter 42. From Job, we learn that God knows that we cannot, nor does he expect us to make it by ourselves. I believe that's why back in chapter 10, verse number 24, uh, the writer said, And let us consider one another. 
Now, just don't think about yourself. You, none of you can make it by yourself. So consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Do you know that's why God adds us to the church when we obey the gospel? I know you can't make it by yourself. I know you need some folk that you can see and touch and talk to. I know what you need. I'm giving you everything you need in Christ Jesus to gain the victory. But then I submit to you further as we look there in chapter 1. He says, not only do we have a great cloud of witnesses, but he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. I, I, I submit to you further this morning that champions choose to put off that which hinders. Notice what he said. He said, lay aside the weight and the sin. Now, I may not know what either of those are, but the one thing I do, it, do know is weight is one thing and sin is another thing. Now, I think we all know what sin is. Sin is just anything that's contrary to the law and will of God. Now, now, now we, we know we need to let that go. Even the world knows that. Now, they don't let it go, but even the world knows that sin is hard on you. But he said, let us also lay aside the weight. And this is discipline beyond sin. If you could follow one of those Olympic athletes when they're training, they change their diet to get into the best shape. Now, they could chew all of the stuff that you and I eat, but see, the stuff that you and I eat doesn't lend itself to competing on that level of competition. You know, if you're going to compete on that level, you can't have a full-course meal followed up by some cheesecake and then a cookie or two because they look good. You, you just can't eat like that if you can compete on an Olympic level. And you know, even when you're talking about your meal, if you're talking about your meal, it, it, there's some food, man, you sit down and you just show all good eating. You know, if somebody said so some ribs and uh, uh, some pulled pork and, man, we got some collards and some mac and cheese and some cornbread. Uh, yeah, yeah, let me take my coat off and have a seat there because we're we, we about to have a good time. But if you eat on that level, don't expect to do well competing on the Olympic level. See, if you're going to compete on the Olympic level, you, you, you have to say no to the ribs and, and yes to the salad. Yet you have to pass up the, the biscuits and gravy and, and, and settle for some water and just remember what that used to taste like if you want to compete on the Olympic level. Well, the Hebrew writer is letting us know well, when it comes to life, you've got to exercise some discipline beyond what, what, what sin is. Yet, yeah, we need to stay away from sin, but there are some things that are just weights in your life. They're not wrong in and of themselves necessarily, but, but they keep you from getting where you want to as a child of God. You, you know, having friends is not wrong, but they're just certain folk, they just waits to you. You know, sometimes the folk that are waits to you have the same last name that you have. And Lord knows that, amen, sometimes they do, and they just hold you back spiritually speaking. You know, it's always something with them. They, you know, they, they haven't embraced the gospel. It, to them, the idea of one church is just utter nonsense. That you have to be baptized to be saved to them is akin to blasphemy. Uh, the Hebrew writer just said, but if you want to be a champion, not only do you have to lay aside sin, but you've got to have the discipline to put off weights. Do you ever notice when they run in track and feel that nobody comes out there fully clothed to run a track race. 
Why? Because clothing equals weight, and weight equals slowing me down when I'm trying to run. Well, the Hebrew writer said we need to apply a somewhat similar principle when you're living your life. There are just some things that will be a hindrance to you. Not wrong, necessarily, but, but, but they will slow you down from achieving what you want to achieve as a child of God. It, it, there's a level of spiritual maturity that realizes that wrong things aren't the only things that have to go. This is the level of gratitude that desires to please God to the point where distraction and things that press God out have to go too. You know, I, I don't need a thou shalt not for everything that's got to go. Some things have to go because they just slow me down and keep me from where I'm trying to get. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 25, the Hebrew writer declares, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. If you ever compete in the Olympics, and the Lord blesses you to medal, and maybe you don't even get the gold medal, but, but I, I think even if I had a bronze medal, that, that'd be the kind of thing I just want folk to know. You know, I, I competed in, of, of all the athletes in the world, I, I competed on the world stage, and only two people in the entire world did better than I did. I think that's a little something to be proud of. But do you know that's a corruptible crown? At some point, well, a couple, one of a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to die and leave here, and that metal's still going to be here. But, but that at some point, that, emet, that metal is going to go back to dust. At, at some point, somebody's going to run the race and do better than you did, and they won't even remember at one point that you competed in the race. You know, even the record holders aren't always remembered. But Paul says, when you're trying to achieve... You have to exercise discipline. And the serious athlete exercises discipline in diet and exercise. Thus, the serious child of God needs to exercise discipline in my living. Further in your Bibles, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, Paul says, There are all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now take the principle. I, I, I don't necessarily have to do with the immediate context he was talking about, but take the principle. Everything that I can do isn't necessarily something that I ought to do. You know, everything I can eat, you know, if I'm an Olympic athlete, if I can chew it, I can eat it. But that doesn't mean it's in my best interest as far as my Olympic aspirations are concerned. A wise man appreciates the difference between liberty and license. See, when I'm serious about serving God, liberty is not my primary concern. See, my primary concern is pleasing the one that's called me to be a soldier. And then if we look back there in Hebrews chapter 12, he said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before. It, make no mistake about it, he's talking about a, a long race here, one akin to the marathon. He's not talking about the 100-meter sprint, the 40-yard dash. He's talking about being in it for the long haul. You've got to exercise some discipline to run for the long haul. You know, just about anybody could do 40 yards. You know, I, I could do 40 yards right now. Not in the same time I could do it in college, but I could do 40 yards right now. 
And I know not to go out and try to go full tilt even over 40 yards. But I could do 40 yards right now. But, but a marathon is a little bit different challenge. And then notice what it says in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I submit to you third this morning that champions choose to focus on the goal. Now, I think for many people in life, their big problem is I'm focused on the wrong thing. See, because what I focus on is what's going to uh, dictate my choices, what's going to affect my way of thinking. Notice what he said, looking unto Jesus. Do you know even when you come to worship service, you've got to look to Jesus? You can't focus on other people when you come to worship service. Too many potential distractions. Too much stuff to be noted. Notice we said, look to Jesus. We need to understand our goal as Christians. And, and, and if you're a child of God, you ought to have a number of goals. I don't know about you, but getting to heaven is one of my goals. But my more immediate goal is to be like Jesus. See, if I can be like Jesus, then I'll achieve the other goal uh, uh, in the process. In my immediate goal, I want to become more like Jesus. You remember Paul, Philippians 2, verse 5. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? Focus on Jesus. It's all kinds of things you could focus on in our world today. People focus on politicians. They focus on athletes. They, they, they focus on this. They focus on that. But if you want to be a champion, Remember, he just talked about putting off the stuff that hinders you. Some of that stuff is nothing but a hindrance to us. Some of us, we would do well to leave politics altogether alone. You know, you get in and you find somebody with a contrary view and you all hot under the collar and you call them everything but a child of God. You might do well to focus on the Lord more than we do on Republican and Democrat. Yeah, look to Jesus. Too often, we have the wrong focus. Israel had the wrong focus, the size and strength of their enemies. You know, sometimes Christians have the wrong focus, the faults and shortcomings of others. And I submit to you that to focus on others is often a pretense not to examine oneself. You know, sometimes the reason I'm an expert in the faults of everybody else is because I won't pay any attention to my own faults. Yeah, when you find somebody that's an expert in what's wrong with everybody else, you have probably found an unhappy person. See, because when, you, you, when you're happy, you, you don't go around looking for the wrong in everybody else. It doesn't lend itself to positivity. Now, that's not to say there are not wrong things out there, but, but see, you see what you look for. You can find good in anybody. And the Hebrew writer said, look to Jesus. You got so much time to be looking. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on the best goal. Follow his example. What did Jesus do? Did, was he able to endure hardship? He was because he kept his eyes on the Father's will. He didn't focus on what I have to go through to get there. He focused on what the Father wanted and allowed the Father to help him make it through anything he had to face to get there. But rest assured, champions 
make choices. And everybody that hears the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, will have made the deliberate choice to be faithful to God. That's a choice we make. We choose to serve God. Just like God chose to bless us in the person of Christ Jesus. Champions make the right choices. Not always the easy choice. Not always the popular choice. But they make the right choices. You know, what's the easy choice? Well, if everybody else going down to the buffet, let me go down to the buffet too. That's the easy choice. That's the fun choice. That's the enjoyable choice. That's the choice you talk about even after you made it. You know, next week, man, we went down to the buffet and they just, boy, they had a spray. But if you trying to compete on that top level, you know, I, I'm not eating salad because it's the best thing out there to eat. I'm eating salad because it helps me get to where I want to go. See, biscuits and gravy might be good, but depending on what you're trying to accomplish, biscuits and gravy can be a weight. And I don't just mean weight when you step on the scale. Champions choose to be faithful to God. When you go back and read chapter 11, without fail, the thing that all of those people have in common is that they chose to be faithful to God. God is the difference maker. When you choose to be faithful to him, you can't help but be an overcomer. God chooses us in Christ Jesus. He requires that we hear the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried but raised the third day for our justification. He requires that we believe Jesus to be the Christ, that we be willing to turn from sin, make the confession of faith in Christ Jesus, and then be baptized in water for the remission of sin. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2 when the gospel was first preached. In Acts 2 verse 37, the question was asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? They wanted to know what, what, what was required for us to be reconciled to God. And in verse 38, Peter answers, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's a choice. We choose to obey the gospel. And when we choose to submit to God in obedience, God chooses to shower his grace and mercy upon us by washing away our sins in the waters of baptism, indwelling us with his spirit, and adding us to the church. And thereafter requires that we make the choices that champions make. And when we choose right in Christ Jesus, we can't help but be overcomers. Perhaps you're here this morning, you want to respond to the invitation, or you want the church to pray for you. And if either of these are the case, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.